This is Old News, a podcast where we take the Old Testament and we apply it to youth ministry. Welcome. Open your Bibles. Welcome back to Old News. I'm here with Jimmy Knight as we continue uh, to chat about uh, Joshua in part two uh, of the podcast. How are you going, Jimmy? Yeah, good. Really good. Just had a really good cookie, actually. My housemate just brought us some, in case you forgot. Yeah, there were actually. It was probably one of the best homemade cookies I've ever had. Sorry, Danny. Um, yeah, look, um, as we just keep jumping in and thinking about it, we're going to be going through the last kind of four sections uh, that we would split this into for a youth series if uh, yeah in the way in which we think might be most helpful um, and then we're going to spend a bit of time talking about uh, what, are, what are really the difficult themes here uh, we're saving it to the end uh, just so people have had to listen to the rest of the podcast beforehand mm. um, but so please resist the need to rewind to that conversation that I'm sure will be helpful uh, at least for me and Jimmy as we try to think through our own thoughts um, but yeah uh, we're going to jump straight in and start looking at uh, chapter 9 yeah so we're up to that point uh, in the story where the the great victories of joshua are now known throughout the land and uh, the people uh, israel's thinking pretty well of itself at this point but also the canaanites Uh, are starting to get worried and so in Gibeon the Gibeonites themselves are worried about what's going to happen to them Uh, and so instead of fighting Joshua uh, they hatch this plan to trick uh, the Israelites Uh, and so they kind of go along pretending like they're some out-of-towners who need to form a covenant with, with Joshua because they're just so impressed with him. So they, they rock up, they're wearing all these disguises that make it look like they've traveled from really far away. And then they trick the Israelites into forming a treaty with them, uh, which really should never have happened. <laughs> uh, they commit to kind of being their servants, being friendly and chummy with them. Uh, and then they, they go off home. But significantly, the Israelites don't uh, speak to God about this. Uh, they just trust their own discernment of these strangers that have rocked up. And then they... Yeah, they make a treaty and let them go on their way. And then, of course, oh no, they found out that they don't actually come from far away. But they're from around the corner in Gibeon. Uh, and now the Israelites are in this annoying position where there's a group of people that they've been commanded to drive out of the land of Canaan uh, that they've now formed a treaty with. Uh, and so I guess classic Joshua and in this situation where they don't feel like they could break the treaty that they've made. So they're pretty trapped. They're having to... Uh, hold to a treaty that they shouldn't have made but they're going to hold to it because it's the right thing to do uh yeah and and so they're they're stuck in this kind of annoying situation and this this has a profound effect on them later it's it's a point of contention in the separation of the two kingdoms and kings Mm. um but yeah the gibeonites themselves are saved uh, and kind of just become servants of of god's people um but really something that is never what should have is never what they intended to happen Mm. Hmm. Yeah, which I think it's also interesting to notice um, Israel's humanity in this passage, in this section. Um, they might have been feeling overconfident from uh, their own... Well, 
they might have been feeling confident from their victory at I. Um, and so we really see them not inquiring of the Lord reflects um, their confidence in their own strength. And we see, like you were saying, the result of that is quite catastrophic long-term for Israel's history. I think particularly as well, thinking about youth ministry and the youth of today, um, we could draw this out as maybe a reminder or an encouragement to think about when things are going well, we can often forget God uh, and lean on our own understanding. So it's really important to see that Israel are viewing their success in Jericho and I as their own success when really it is clearly been God, God leading them and God fighting their battles and giving them the victory, um, which really compromises, it's in this passage particularly, their ability to make decisions and discern well. Yeah, and it's, it's frustrating, right? And I feel like it's a great moment for us to use that frustration uh, against our youth kids. Uh, I like, I really like opportunities to, for them to be like, duh, they're so stupid. Like, why aren't they, why, why didn't they just ask God what was going on here? He would have helped them. He would have told them. No, you're Look so at all dumb. these dumb for them. Yeah. And it's like, no, but you're dumb kids, <laughs> but obviously in a slightly different way. Um, but just getting people to see that this, this passage is passages like this are always accusing the person reading mm. them almost because mm. they're, um, they can see their own flaws in what's going on here. And I think it's a, such a good opportunity to dwell on how quick we are to forget the glory of God in the good. Mm. And like we're, we're so quick to look for his protection in the bad, mm. but to recognize his glory in the good. And then for that to influence our decision making and our trusting mm. uh, and not, not own our own pride and discernment. Um, because ultimately it doesn't seem like a huge deal here, but, but it really is. And it's, you know, it, it gets in the way of God requires his people to clear the land of the Canaanites and they don't because and they, they, they're now going to fail in that goal completely hmm. all because they've decided to trust in themselves. Uh, and so I think um, for us, it's remembering things like, oh, well, actually, we don't have to try and be uh, perf- like the perfect Christian who's a, who everyone thinks is an awesome Christian person because we've been saved by grace through Christ and Christ has saved us. And if we remember that, and our decision-making when it comes to behaving as a Christian person is a lot more clear uh, because we're trusting in him and what he's done for us rather than trusting in our own ability to be godly. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot in here that we can reflect on. I think the Gibeonite deception is probably not one of the main go-to passages that people use, <laughs> but I think it's actually pretty good. And as we've lot, sat and yeah. thought about it, uh, there's a lot for us here that we can hold on to and point our youth kids to. Yeah, so we're starting to get to the sections now where things uh, start to zoom out a bit and we start to think about things as bigger sections of the narrative that's going on and, and the story that's happening here. And so I, I would tend to look at probably chapters 10 through to 12 in one go. Um, you can focus on a few different things, um, such as the sun standing still, the death of the kings and the northern and southern kingdoms being defeated. Um, but ultimately the overall thing that's going on here is just the complete domination of Canaan by the armies of God and by God's people uh, as he leads them. And so ultimately by God. Um, so you can pick kind of any passage in here that you would want to focus on. I would recommend not 
doing a Bible reading of three full chapters. Um, for me, though, I, I choose a pretty alternative direction in that I would, I would do chapter 12. So I'd go through the reading of all these different kings that have been defeated um, by, yeah, by, by God's people and, and, um, and, and the listing of all the different land. Um, ultimately, because it just gives such an overall summary of what's happened here and how successful and overwhelming the defeat of the Canaanites without, or the, the caveat being the uh, Gibeonites um, have, have been dealt with by God's people um, ultimately uh, because they've been following him. Um, yeah, I think this is a really good section for seeing just how overwhelming the victories are, but any section in here just is just like one victory after the other, after the other, after the other. And so we have Joshua, the new Moses, leading God's people into the promised land with overwhelming victory uh, because he is a faithful leader who trusts in God and relies on him. And while each speed bump that has come up so far, Joshua's dealt with it quite well. And so we've resulted in quite quite a lot of success for him. Um, the, the real question is, what things does this touch on now as we get to the end of what are the probably the more meaty section of Joshua are we going to really grab into, Jimmy? Yeah, I think like you said, um, we're really starting to zoom out now, but particularly in chapter 12 with this list of kings, this is a, as an Israelite reading this, maybe looking back, this is a huge list, uh, not just numerically, but uh, the fact that kings have been defeated in a land really show us the sovereignty and the ultimate kingship that God has over creation, but particularly these kings here. So for young people, it's a really quite encouraging verse, um, sorry, an encouraging section or passage of scripture to remind them that God is king over all. And really, I mean, in this context, leads his people to defeat all this, this huge list of kings and is a great encouragement, um, or it should be a great encouragement to them to stand firm and to trust in God's sovereignty and in his kingdom that will never be shaken. Um, That is the eternal kingdom, regardless of what culture around looks like, regardless of how people or things of influence are, God is the king, um, king of kings. Yeah. Yeah, and I think especially considering the defeat, the feeble defeat that they experienced at Ai after their unfaithfulness, we see that it's not like the Israelite army obviously isn't that super impressive. But instead, after that time, the, this list of victory that has occurred uh, because God is the one who is fighting and winning the victories and that these kings could stand in the way of Israel, but they can't stand in the way of God just is a huge demonstration of, of whose shoulders uh, everyone's being carried on here um, and that, that he truly is supreme and great over them. And I think for us, as we then live in a world where often it seems like the different kings of this world seem to have great power. I mean, at the moment for us, it's really relevant when we think about the oppression of the Chinese church and mm. how churches now are being shut down just before Christmas over there, mm. uh, that the Chinese ministers are responding knowing that God is is sovereign and, and will stand and they're standing firm for him, mm. uh, knowing that while things might happen to them now, that he will ultimately be victorious in this world. And that is a message for our youth kids, that while mm. they may feel... Uh, persecuted or just embarrassed about their faith at school 
um, that, that they do believe in the king that will win, who has victory over evil in the world, uh, and who is the king of kings and defeats all other kings. And uh, then taking that forward and seeing who that person is through Jesus mm. uh, is, yeah, really powerful. And so I think while this section, once again, has a tendency to just be treated as one of those Old Testament lists that we can skip over, uh, it actually tells us a lot about the sovereignty of God and reminds us of his strength and power. And that is an awesome message mm. in youth ki- for youth kids and youth ministry. All right, so now we've kind of reached maximum outward zoom as I'm going to suggest that we do a talk on Joshua 13 to 22. Jeez. Um, That doesn't necessarily mean reading all of it, um, but I think reading sections of it will kind of give people the point as they read the land allotted to Issachar and read through the details of that um, and other different sections. Uh, Because essentially what's happening here is that the land is being divided up amongst the people. I think there's some significant things in that not all of the land has been cleared yet, uh, and that is noted before the division of the land occurs, that Joshua is just, he's just too old. It's all been going down, and he's too old to finish the job. Um, And this is, we've got to remember this because it will become significant later. Um particularly because it's the land of the Philistines, Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron. The five Philistine cities are still not taken, and that will be important later when our buddies, the Philistines, cause trouble. Um, But we have essentially a huge fulfillment of God's promises here, where the land is being divided up amongst the tribes uh, for his people, uh, and that his people are going to live in his place that he has given to them. And uh, so reading sections of this will give the idea pretty quickly. There's some pretty important stuff too in that we see uh, f- some fulfillment of the law uh, when it comes to cities of refuge in verse uh, in chapter 20. The cities of refuge are kind of established as what they're going to be, which is uh, a place that someone's able to flee when they have a particular debt uh, that, that can be repaid by death. Um, see the law for knowing why that's uh, super relevant. Um, but yeah, it's it's... I mean, this is the, the section that you would probably be most likely to say, boring, uh, move on, give me some yeah. Philippians 1 to <laughs> juice my engine. Not your morning quiet time. But I think that this has some good stuff in it, uh, other than the names and being able to remember all the things that are important. Um, I think this is, I think this is significant, and I think you you think it's significant too, Jimmy. So why, why would we care about this so much? Why wouldn't we just skip over it uh, when we're doing uh, a series with our youth kids? Yeah, well, just to reiterate what you've said, um, it really is a fulfillment of promises. And so this is a very significant time in Israel's history. So even this is a good teaching uh, platform to help youth kids understand uh, salvation history. The point of this story in salvation history is to show that God fulfills his promises and that Israel is now dividing up the land um, to live in, uh, as promised way back in Abraham. Uh, And so, in Abraham? To Abraham, yeah. I think it's also helpful and relevant to understanding the rest of the Old Testament historically. Um, Yeah, just all the events that happen um, throughout Samuel and Kings and all that kind of thing. Yeah, that's good, eh? Because, like, heaps often... I find that I'll be reading through Kings or 
um, Samuel or even Chronicles, uh, and then people or people will be reading through it and they're like, oh, I just don't quite get it because Ephraim keeps getting mentioned, but I don't really understand that. Mm. Or a different one of the tribes will get mentioned and where it is and they don't, or they just skip over it and don't bother with the meaning. Whereas focusing and letting these kind of details wash over us can actually help yeah. our understanding later. Yeah, for sure. I think another important point to consider as well is that Israel is finally entering rest in the land. They've been wandering around the wilderness uh, for a long time. They've been waiting for this fulfillment of the promise to come to pass. And now they're entering uh, God's rest, which is huge. Yeah, it almost seems like like if we're reading through this for the first time, they were like, oh, is the story going to end at Joshua? God's people are now in their place and mm. um, are things going to be good from here? I think the, the hints that we have that that's not going to happen is the uncleared land and the problems with the Gibeonites. Mm. But yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a cool moment of seeing that, that God kind of brings to fruition a bunch of his promises and that the only thing kind of standing in the way of the fulfillment of God's promises has been the unfaithfulness of God's people. Mm. Um, but he'll still overcome that later. Uh, I guess, but yeah, seeing seeing all this stuff, I think is really key. Um, seeing um, God's people spread about the land that He promised for them is just a. It is. It's like a moment of relief after reading through uh, the Torah. Like we get to Joshua, and we're like, oh, okay, so things have actually gone right here for the most part. Joshua's done a pretty good job. Mm. Yeah, I think. Um, as we've zoomed out and, and can see this section as a whole, I think we do need to impress upon our youth kids that this is a section worth their time and worth considering um, because it is going to be an important, it's kind of an important conclusion section of the book, uh, but also sets up things, things for later, uh, particularly uh, as the other history books are coming straight after it. Yeah, yeah. Just a good reminder on the importance of context and how... Uh, all Joshua fits together. Yeah. yeah, and if we're desperate for some more physical ap- application, uh, I think we can be, once again, talking about God's... I mean, it's become a bit of a buzzword now, but Joshua <laughs> just seems to be the book of faithfulness and faithlessness. Mm. Uh, and so seeing God be faithful to Abraham now by allotting the mm. land and, and spreading it out and giving it to, to the different people that he said he would. Um, we know that God is, God is a God who sticks to his promises mm. uh, and that we can trust in him and rely on him to do these things. Um, but also that the when God promises or sets up a situation such as the law around cities of refuge, uh, that he then, you know, that will be carried out and it does happen. Um, he, he does set up, he not only sets up his law, he sets up the way in which they're going to be able to, to mm. carry it out and do it effectively for however short that may may be within their history. So yeah, a good section, a section I encourage people not to skip, um, but to put in the hard work and, and find some more juicy stuff in there that really helps mm. uh, their youth. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. The final talk, Joshua 23 and 24, his kind of final speeches to the elders uh, and then his speeches to the people. I think they, they have really similar themes and so we'll, I would pull them into two, but this pull them into one talk. But look, this is a section that, I mean, if you have the energy for it, go for it and, and look at the details here because they're really cool and they're really important. 
But I think the main grabbing out the main themes here that are concluding what's been going on through Joshua is the most important thing you want to do in this talk. And so as we go through, we have Joshua is essentially doing this leadership uh, handover with the with the leaders. And so we have a really similar uh, description and speech uh, as we get as as God kind of gives Joshua in chapter one. And so as we, we see, he, he calls on them to remember what God's done for them, to remember everything that's happened, to be strong, to be careful, to obey all that is written in the law of Moses, not turning to the side, not to associate with other nations, not to invoke the other na- the names of other gods, but to be faithful to Yahweh, to stand by him, to remember what he's done and commit to him. And then once he's made this command to the leaders, um, he also warns them that if they do the wrong thing, then the Lord's anger is going to burn against them and they will quickly perish uh, from the good land he's given them. So not only this isn't just a default, okay, now God's given you this and you've got it forever. You need to do the right thing. It is if you were going to continue to have the gifts of God, you are going to have to continue to be faithful to him. And so there's a big challenge to the leaders here that I think he then turns and challenges uh, the people with too. He lists a bunch of the promises of God that, and, and talks about the great things that God has done uh, and as, as a way of getting them to remember all of their history up until this time. So he lists all this stuff from Abraham onwards uh, and reminds them of the great things that God has done. And then he challenges them. He says, who are you going to serve, essentially? Are you going to serve these foreign gods? Are you going to turn away from God? Because me, my household, we are going to serve the Lord. And that classic verse, yeah, the banger of a verse that is on (laughs) every married person's mantelpiece because they were gifted it at the wedding, (laughs) is there. I wouldn't know about it, but but it's still on your shelf, funnily enough. (laughs) Um, Share houses must have it too. Yeah. But... Seeing this verse in context, we see that it's actually, it's about a faithfulness to God because of what he has done for us. And by remembering what God has done and standing by him in the face of other, um, yeah, in the, in the face of other uh, challenges to the faith. That it's a moment when, it's a moment of defiance to the world that I will stand by the Lord uh, and is a, you know, it's an act of rebellion against, against sin. Uh, so it's a very serious thing to have in your home. If that is something that you're going to say your home stands by, mm. then you, you're you making a big call on, on who you're going to be and a very good call on, on who you're going to be because God will not stand for it. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive the rebellion of turning away and forsaking him for foreign gods. And so the people then declare, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. And Joshua says, you are witnesses against yourselves uh, that they are by the declaration that they've made will be something that stands against them later when they do. Uh, I mean, if they do, are are they going to? Yeah, they're going to. Um, They're going to eventually turn away from him in like two pages. So we need to uh, remember that this is going to be something that witnesses against them. And so then God makes a covenant with the people. Uh, He records all of these things in the book of the law. uh, And then he, um, yeah, declares it to them, dismisses them. And then he dies. Uh, A really kind of big conclusion at the moment as we remember and we look back on all God has done in this book. Um, But we kind of look, we're challenged to look forwards, right? We're challenged to remember what has been done and for us to respond and move from here. Uh, I'm excited. I'll be excited to preach this section. Um, Yeah, where are you going to go? What are you going to hit home with? I really just want to spend time on and really drive 
the point home that we as God's people should be faithful to him. He has been so faithful to us, um, as we can see not only in this story, but through Jesus, through his overflowing love for his creation. And so our response should be just non-hesitant, faithful obedience to God. And whether that be um, instilling things in our life that will help us remember uh, God and what he's done in our own lives. Um, But I think, yeah, that's really just the main point that um, we we should be teaching and preaching and encouraging our young people. Yeah, and it's an opportunity to really challenge them, right? Like I would, yeah, I think for me, I just want to hammer this. God is faithful to you. Be faithful to him. He is trustworthy. Look at all he's done, even in just Joshua, but he lists everything that he's done up until this point. And we can see to the people, to the Israelites here, he has stuck by them when they've been faithful. He's come through with the goods and we can trust that. Uh, Are we going to stay faithful to him when it's difficult for us it's not really that difficult for us, but when we think it's difficult for us, uh, are we going to stand by his truth? Are we going to stay and trust that he ultimately has what's right for us and what's good for us in, in mind? I think it's, um, I love the way Joshua ends, um, but it also mm. ends with that kind of weird distaste um, that, that Moses kind of has as well when he finishes. Yeah, definitely. We kind of get that Moses-y vibe where Joshua says, uh, where is it? In verse 19, he says, you're not able to serve the Lord. He's a holy God. He's jealous. He will not forgive your rebellion, your sins. Uh, it kind of goes on and the people say, no, no, we will, we will. And he says, well, this will be a witness against you then. And it really is a mirroring, it seems, of Moses back in Deuteronomy um, saying, oh, please, 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 please remember um I know you're not, so this is what will happen. And so we kind of, uh, you're right, have that taste in our mouth of or anticipation of, oh. <laughs> yeah, and to me, it's just like, oh, okay, so things aren't going to go well. We're going to need more books in the Old Testament. <laughs> um, more episodes of the podcast, then, eh? Aren't we just lucky for that? Um, but yeah, I think this is a really great great way for this to, to, to cap off the series. And it, is, it feels like a long series, but I think a very worthwhile series. Mm. Um, I might even test, test run it myself just to give my leaders a challenge and give them the talk on, um, on the, the 13 to 22. Um, but yeah, I think this is, this is really great and a really awesome uh, area for us to look at. Uh, and so now, how about we move on and yeah, I guess have the, the conversation that we've been wanting to have for a while and think about mm. the hard, hard elements of this book. Yeah. Yeah, so I think as we think about this book overall, it's impossible if you have any form of heart or compassion for people (laughs) to look at some of the events that happen here and not think, but wait a minute, isn't God affirming a genocide? Mm. Uh, is God affirming the death of women and children? Uh, the Is the punishment taken on Achan and his family too much? Like This is just a really hard, difficult thing. And I think a lot of people would challenge us on what's going on here. I think a lot of people would have big issues with what God is approving and commanding here. Uh, and we've got to find a way of 
reading this with our youth kids and then when them looking up at us and going, man, how are these guys any better than Nazi Germany? We need an answer for that. Hmm. Yeah, and I think there's a, a question mark around the consistency of God's character as well. It seems like we we see a different God maybe in this section of the Bible as opposed to the New Testament where God's described as a God of love. Um, so it really raises a lot of questions. Yeah, because I think in our, in our society and, and our youth kids, the way in which they might think about things is they want to create that dichotomy. They, it's the evil God of the Old Testament mm. who does these horrible things and the loving, soft, guitar-playing <laughs> God of the New Testament. Mm. And that, that probably comes from a couple of things. It probably comes from us being too weak on judgment when it comes to talking about the Old Testament at times. Um, but also that we're treating this text in an unfair way, I think. I think when we start to throw around the word genocide, we're not actually being fair to this text. Um, and what's, I guess what's helpful for me and you now as we think about this is to recognize that me and you aren't super high-level theologians, um, but what we really care about is not solving this issue because we're still on that journey, but how are we, how we going to talk about it with youth kids? Mm. And I, I think jumping in and giving them a few um, constructs that they can start to put these things inside. Um, so I think for me... Um, what's what's been helpful in the past is understanding that what's going on here is likely a form of hyperbole. So when you know, in the in the law and in, when it talks about dealing with the Canaanites, it has all these sections that talk about uh, how to deal with them in general and how to live lives alongside them. Now, for those laws to have been written, there's an assumption there that there's going to be Canaanites around after the Israelites enter the Holy Land. Mm. And so they, they enter it, and as is commonly found in other ancient texts of the time, they use phrasing that makes the victory sound victorious and awesome and full of glory. So, you know, you might get an ancient um, Babylonian thing that's like, and then we killed this entire town and drank their blood. Now, it's not actually what happened, but it's a way of talking about their victory. Uh, but we also have you know, um, Canaanites existing after this time. And so the expression that we get here where they killed everyone in the city, uh, it may well be a, an expression of hyperbole in mm. this situation. I don't think that undermines the infallibility of the text. I think it's what the text is actually saying in, mm. in its genre and its context of what it's talking about. Do you think that would be helpful? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think um, it just helps give a good grasp and good view um, and maybe just an alternate angle rather than the negative, you know, this is genocide and complete annihilation of a people that God doesn't care about. Um, a, a good understanding, good handling on, yeah, you're right, on what this text is saying. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think as well, like, I mean, there, there are lots of different angles to take and trying to think of the most helpful ones can be difficult as we think about Judgment. I think another one, I mean, this might not be as strong a thing to talk about, but this is the only time that God affirms what's going on here as Israel, as we've already emphasized, Israel, this is an important moment as they enter the promised land and they're establishing it for themselves, that God is seeing the evil of the Canaanites and wanting to deal with it in that promised land when they take them. And that this is an isolated incident in the Bible. It's not something that defines God's character uh, as a means by which he carries things out. Um, but at the same time, judgment is something at the center of God's character because that's part of his love. Mm. Uh, and so, 
Yeah, I think the way in which we phrase things can be really key here. Um, it's interesting, though, that stuff like this happens in different ways in the Bible, but we don't always feel as upset about it. Yeah, I mean, you look at the story of Noah and the flood. Um, this is something that even in Sunday school is made a you can make a cartoon out of this or a paper mache or cut out or whatever. Um, and then yet you get to this story in Joshua and it's, we can't even, can't even talk about it. Or I know some people have said they've fallen away from the faith because of it. And so Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, it's really how something is worded can really influence how we think of it and say, particularly with the flood, um, it seems like, I mean, the whole world is wiped out except for, eight people or however many it is um but the focus is on salvation whereas it's quite the opposite in joshua yes the the focus is on their the destruction of the evil um Mm. which is it's hard right because a, a blatant black and white view of this story is that god hates sin the canaanites i mean at the end of the day the canaanites aren't a group of awesome people they're sacrificing children and committing horrific sin and so mm. in many ways god views them as he needs to get rid of their practices he needs to avoid them mixing with his people That's right. because he doesn't want yeah. these sins to affect them but but it's just so hard to talk about that in a fair way um, because i think our youth kids want to lean towards and and this is because they our youth kids are great people they want to lean towards a compassion towards Mm. The, the, those who are in this situation and I think that's fair I think um, it's one of the beauties of our salvation in Christ is that the way in which the that judgment like we see in Joshua was meant to be poured out on us too and mm. we're spared from it and so it gives us an appreciation for what we've been saved from and for, for God's grace mm. but it's still difficult to then go back to Joshua and be like yeah but it did happen here and it was and, and saying you know it was the right thing to happen here because it was but it's still difficult mm. and being pastorally thoughtful in how we think about this stuff uh, I think is really key um, yes the Canaanites are super super evil and what happened needed to happen um, but thank the Lord that now when someone is that evil, all they need to do is turn to Christ and they can be saved. Hmm. Um, I'm, I'm not trying to trick my youth kids by moving to Jesus, <laughs> but I think it, it might be a helpful way that we can go. Um, what, what other application do you think we can move to in this? Yeah, I think there's a couple. I first off would want to talk about and think about encourage encouraging my leaders to encourage the youth and to encourage the youth to read this text don't be afraid to stray from it i know earlier i said that i can find the old testament a bit boring we really should engage with this it shouldn't be a taboo topic Mm. um it really it's important to address it it's part of scripture it's part of um i guess god's character this this aspect of judgment um don't be afraid to doubt it. Don't be afraid to ask questions, but do it well. Um, surround yourself with people who are going to support you in that um, and who are going to encourage you to ask questions of this. I think that's probably um, the first point that I would make in how it's relevant for us. Yeah, and I guess we're coming from a, a position where this story does not define what we think about God. What we think about God defines what we think about this story. So we already know God's character. We know who God is. And Mm. we are so blessed this side of the cross 
to know who God is through the Lord Jesus mm. and through his spirit that lives in us, that we can look back at this text and understand it knowing that, yes. and that how we come to understand who God is isn't first looking at this text and then concluding that God is this evil guy. It's going, no, we believe in a loving God who would sacrifice himself for us. Mm. So what's going on in this text? Yeah. Um, and I think if we can balance it on that, it might be a better place for us to hang out. Um, and I think we also shouldn't shy away from, from the black and white here. Yeah. And that those who have sinned and have turned against God and worship other gods ultimately uh, are going to face judgment. And we can impress that upon our youth kids. Mm. If you think what's happening here in Joshua is horrible, then you need to start telling your friends about Jesus mm. because you want to save them and you want them to know, you want God to save them. And so they need to know about Christ. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there's, there's two sides to this and that we can, we can dampen the roughness of the passage which might need to occur, but we can also use it uh, mm. as a tool to impress upon our, our youth yeah. uh, what really needs to be done. Yeah. I think I'd, I'd just add another point there, which I'm sure you'll like. It kind of falls into the minor prophet realm. Um, but in this passage, we can look forward to God righteously judging all the injustice that's in the world. Um, and like you were saying, like we want to be telling people about Jesus and, Graciously, he uses us as simple people as his agents to mm. do that, which is, I mean, it's just crazy to think about. It's awesome. But um, yeah, we, all the injustice that we see, the unfairness, we can really trust that God will be faithful, like we've seen in this whole book, um, that he will, as a righteous judge, um, bring justice to this world. Yeah, and I think that's, um, you're right, the, the, this huge thing carried through the minor prophets of that God will not allow evil to reign in the world forever. Mm. And in Joshua, we see him seeing a people who are horrible, they're sinful, they're depraved, they do horrific things to their own children. Mm. And God goes, that evil I cannot allow to exist. I will deal with that evil and I'm going to use my people while they're flawed. I will judge them too. And he does judge them too, right? The exile comes, um, but I'm going to use my people to try and bring about uh, the destruction of evil in this world. Mm. And if we start to view it through those lenses uh, and, under and understand that this is a battle between God and the rejection of him in the world by sinful people, then I think we can, we can reach a place where we, start, we understand more. Um, I still crave more understanding. I still feel like this is something I'll wrestle with. I wrestle with it a lot more in, in Judges. Um, mainly because of the, the graphicness of mm. what occurs there. Yeah. Um, but I, I think this is something we need to continue to wrestle with. But we need to equip our youth not with the answers, because they're going to come across another passage, right? That if, we just, if we can find the answers to this one and give it to them, they're going to come across another passage that freaks <laughs> them out. But instead giving them those tools, like understanding who God is first, then looking at, the, mm. at what's going on here. Yep. Um, if we can give them those tools to do their own interpretation then they'll be in much better stead and they'll be able to be like us. They'll be able to deal with not having the answer um, because they are already on that strong foundation of their mm. salvation and grace through Jesus. All right, well, it's been a long journey going through the book of Joshua in uh, two parts. I mean, we've spent close to two hours talking it through together. Um, well, how about you give me uh, your, your rundown? Uh, what's the book of Joshua <laughs> all about? Yeah, 
Uh, for me, Joshua is a book about God's faithfulness, the fulfillment of his promises and um, the outcomes of that for his people. Uh, and for us, as we read this book, we know that we may not see the material outcomes of our faithfulness in our current lifetime, but we have seen it in Christ uh, and we will see it when he returns. This has been a presentation from Old News Bible. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do that at oldnewsbible at gmail.com. All quotes from the Bible were taken from the New International Version 2011, and the music is Amber by Drake Stafford.